real honest, this last session, uh, I've just got like an hour and 12 minutes. Um, and it's supposed to be, it's really the longest session, so I won't be able to cover as much of it as I need to. Um, but Lord willing, uh, I'll be able to continue doing this through the advocacy and PAC teams that we're going to talk about helping you guys create uh, to serve your missionaries. And, and so I could just continue that work through that. So a couple things we need to note, more, than, more importantly than my words, things I want to share with you is I want to share with you the scriptures. And I want to give you these biblical basis for the church sending. And so I want you to understand, number one, it's, it's this theology, right, that is, that is causing us to do things a certain way. So our theology drives us to action. Our theology is directing our action. And our theology is demanding that we don't just send, but that we send well. Okay? There's a difference. And so Acts 13, uh, I want you to see this. Start in verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, uh, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So the church sends out the one that the Holy Spirit says, set them apart because I'm calling them. The church lays their hands on them and sends them. Verse 4, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit. So the church is the ascending agent, but is not the only sending agent. This is why uh, I'm so encouraged by our missionaries. Because if all they had was people behind them, they're going to a losing battle. But the fact that the Holy Spirit is sending them, that they serve in His power, in His authority, praise God. We, we, We do crazy things with a hopeful attitude. Right? We go into the darkness of lostness and we expect the Lord to do great things. Why? Because that's what the Spirit does. So uh, I, I want you to see the church there, what their job was, was to send them out. Holy Spirit sending. Now go with me very quickly to Third John. It is also in your book if you don't have your Bible. Um, but I, I recommend Third John. Third John was one of the most influential books for us when we started DTN. I bet you've never heard somebody say that before. But 3 John, verse 5. Notice, it's not just to send, it's to send well. Okay? Beloved, verse 5, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers. So John is actually writing to an elder of a church called uh, Gaius. And uh, he's encouraging Gaius uh, because Gaius's church had had uh, some missionaries pass through. He calls them strangers because they weren't, they, they weren't sent out of this church. This is just a church that chose to support them. Beloved, it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. 
be quite honest, I feel like I could, we could turn the lights off and go home. That text right there says everything you need to know. I don't know if there's a more pregnant verse when talking about sending missionaries. Send them on their way or on their journey in a manner worthy of God. So, in what esteem do you hold the Savior? So, in what esteem should you hold the Savior's servants? Verse 7, For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these. Ought. Holy ought. We ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. <clears throat> Pregnant little passage, isn't it? Scripture demands that we not just send missionaries, but it, they demand that we send them well. Sending well is the Savior's will. Lots of things are mentioned right there. This is where he says, ought, John Stott says, there are so many good causes which we may support but we must support our brothers and sisters whom the world does not support. This is a holy requirement. So would love to have you guys sit down and, and talk about, would love to workshop, what does it mean in a manner worthy of God? So in understanding this, this is why there's not two tiers of people that are involved in, mission, in, in Great Commission ministries. There's not the goers that are this top tier and then there's also the senders. No, it requires both. Sending and sending well is required. And so there's three things. Go, send, or be disobedient. Both the going and the sending should be held in higher esteem than the disobedient. But you shouldn't look at the missionaries as they have a more important role. You don't look at the arrow and say, you did such a much better job than the bow. Right? It takes both. Both should be done. So... The question is, in your church, are senders trained, appreciated, celebrated, and honored in your church? If so, how? If not, why not? So sending, uh, embrace the role of a sending church. That's step two. Sending versus supporting church. Support does not equip, uh, equal sending, but sending requires support. So first of all, we want our missionaries at DTN to be fully supported. Now note that fully funded does not equal fully supported. Okay? That's an aspect. They have to be fully funded in order to be able to check the box for fully supported. But they're, they're not equal. Okay? So uh, I give you a couple of definitions in your book about what a sending church is. And I've stolen most of those. I don't write my own very much. I, I'm just a thief. Um, a guy by the name of Steve Burns says, a supporting church is a local body of believers who participate in cross-cultural ministry by supporting missionaries who do not originate from their church membership. Right? As you support another one. Ascending church is the one that affirms, commissions, supports, sustains, and receives their own membership. So you're sending if they're yours. There are times that they're not there their whole life. Justice, I know, grew up in this church, right? So that would be one of those great, rare occasions that somebody grows up 
trained, fully developed, and then launched out from here. Lots of times, uh, you know, Art Candy and my sending church, uh, I pastored there for several years before, but I didn't grow up there. Right? But they just became our sending church. So we commission for the task. That's what happens in Acts 13. They commission, that means to publicly set apart for the work to which God has called them. So one of the things we'll encourage you guys to do and can help you do if you need help is to do a commissioning service for Raymond and Leanne before they launch. To commission them from the body to accomplish their task. So sending churches are those who send and never let go. Remember, William Carey, I'll go down into the well, but you must hold the rope. How scary would it be for you to go down into the well and the people up there forget that they're supposed to hold the rope? So there's this aspect of sending that you recognize we're not done. Just because you get on the field and you kind of get settled, that doesn't mean we're done. Great character. Well, first of all, let me ask. Can I do this here? I can do this here. Yeah. Do you... As a local body, talking to Liberty Church members, do you, as your local body, I realize we're not all, y'all not all here, but in understanding this difference and what it means to send and understanding a little bit about what it means to send well, do you accept that responsibility to send Raymond and Leanne Cook? So you affirm that they are called for this And you also affirm that you are too called for this. Isn't that awesome? Chills. I just got chills. Okay. I love that. Recognizing that God wants to use you in this and then being ready to respond to that. Such a beautiful thing. So, characteristics that make a great sending church. They take ownership. <clears throat> they provide that church-wide focus. Their missions is taught from the pulpit. It's taught in Sunday school, small groups, active missions team. <clears throat> There's regular opportunities to give financially to missions. There's an emphasis placed on involving members in the missions opportunities, finding some way that those that are senders are also goers in some way, right? Finding ways to get people that are just disobedient into the sending and then from the sending into the going, right? Find ways to get people actively involved uh, with what God's doing in the world. Prepare to care, step three. All right, now we've got to talk a second. <clears throat> You as a church have to understand that you need to be prepared to care. 1994, the World uh, Evangelical Fellowship Missions Commission launched something that they called REMAP. Capital R, little e, capital M-A-P. REMAP. And it stands for the Reducing Missionary Attrition Project. Missionary attrition, meaning missionaries that were sent overseas but come back before they should have had to come back. They come back for reasons that we didn't expect or didn't know. So they did uh, a study through 14 countries and 453 mission agencies. They did this study over a three-year period starting in 1994. 
And something about this, this, they looked at everybody. They didn't look at those that died on the field. They didn't look at those that ended their term and retired, anything like that. They looked at only those that in the very middle of their term, they said, I quit. Okay? During that time period, that three-year time period, 30,600 missionaries quit. 29% of those missionaries quit for what they called reasonable reasons. If their spouse died on the field and they felt that 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 had so changed their life that they couldn't continue over the field, they said that's reasonable. But 71% quit due to what's called preventable reasons. Now these were fell in three main categories. One, they realized they, and the people, the missionaries would say, we should not have gone in the first place. Now first of all, just think of the negative impact on that. That because they were not well developed, they were not well assessed, they were not well equipped, well prepared for the task, that they came home. Now, one, look at the damage to the local church that sent them, if there was one. That would be a problem. It would cause issues. Think of the damage that happened to the people over there that saw this person that came that said they had this great, incredible story that they needed to tell them, but it wasn't important enough for them to stay so that they could actually hear it. How much harder is it going to be for the next group of missionaries to go in? Lack of pre-filled preparation, lack of understanding of culture, lack of support, member care, pastoral care, etc. 71% of missionaries annually means about 7,000 missionaries were quitting every year for preventable reasons. 7,000 missionaries each year went home discouraged, heartbroken, feeling like failures, unable to fulfill their duties. Now, what type, of, what type of impact would it have had on them? This does not include their children, their parents. The finding of REMAP study was published in a book called Too Valuable to Lose. It's for free on PDF if you're interested. It's a really long book, but it's, it's an interesting study. <clears throat> you see, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus says, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. I don't think that I'm going off base to say that probably included in that is also give them the resources they need to stay. Because the goal is not just to get them into the field. The harvest is plentiful, but no harvest is actually harvested if you just get somebody to walk through the field and come right back. They need to be able to get there, stay there, labor well there, that's what has to happen. So in 1994, when this study was completed, REMAP study came out, it shocked the missions world. And immediately mission agencies tried to remedy the problem. And so they wanted to see how well they had done. And a second REMAP study, it's called REMAP 2, 
was done in 2002. You know what they found? Zero improvement. Still to this day, about 7,000 missionaries quit due to preventable reasons annually. If you, if you want to think about the ways to reach the world for Christ, I'm thinking bringing 7,000 7, laborers home every year is not a good way to do it. The new statistics are saying that almost 50% of all new missionary candidates will quit within their first two years. It's getting worse. Why I think this happens is not because I think people are getting soft, though that might be happening. I think the vast majority is we're still just trying to do things without the way God has designed it to be done. That's something that I think it was Tozer that said, when we get to heaven, we won't find that God's ways were found to be tried and unfit or un... We wouldn't say that we tried God's ways and they didn't work. He said it'll be found out that we just didn't try them. Missionary care is one of the reasons that I think we fail. Too many times I've had missionaries call and just cry. There's a, a missionary that was a, a former Golden Gloves boxer that somebody connected me with, and I, I didn't know the guy, I'd never met him before, and he called me and asked a Zoom call. And I jumped on a Zoom call with him, and this Golden Gloves boxer, this beast of a man, talked to me for about five minutes and was bawling like a baby. This was in the middle of COVID. It was in June. When did COVID hit? March of 2020? So it would have been June of 2021 when I talked to this guy. And uh, he, he said no one from his sending church or his agency has contacted him since COVID started. I'm like, not even to check to see if you're still alive, if you're getting the checks, nothing. Global workers are not superhuman, they're not called to be superhuman. They're called to be Christians. And they need the very same things that the Christians in your body need. No matter how well prepared they are, no matter how long they've served overseas, they will all struggle to different degrees with serious challenges. They will all face incredibly hard, incredible hardships. And to be honest, most of the things that are really hard here are, are hard over there, except they're amplified. It's like you put them under a magnifying glass. If you have troubles in your marriage here, you do that times the fifth power over there. Right? And so with all these extra added stressors around them, they just need some extra support. It is my belief that not all but most of the fact that 7,000 missionaries quit every year is due to the fact that we've that local churches have outsourced missionary sending to agencies. I may be wrong, but I'll, it'll probably be heaven before I would be corrected because it's just 23 years of experience of proving that this outsourcing model doesn't work. 
Many times because missionaries are out of sight, out of mind, churches and agencies honestly forget they're there. Ralph Winter again says caring for missionaries is the most hurting area of the missions process. So missionary care, what is it? What's member care? It's preventative, it's disciple-making, it's loving and caring on a brother and sister and their family. It is not just jumping in when there's a need. It is committing to not letting them be amputated. Right? That's what that is. Uh, I think I put in a Global Member Care Network definition of member care that you can read. Um, In the appendix of your book, I put in there the 59 one another's of the New Testament. I think it's the very last page. It's living out what Christ has called us to live out in the New Testament. There's 59 times in the New Testament that we're called to do something to one another. Love one another, encourage one another, serve one another, pray for one another, right? Member care is doing all of those things, okay? Now, I want you guys to help me read. My, my voice is kind of going out. Daniel, do we have a mic, a handheld? Da- Actually, Daniel's going to help me here. Oh, Daniel, come here. I'm looking for someone with young legs that doesn't mind walking around. Would you do it for me? Yeah. All right, so I want to read these passages. We, we don't have a lot of time. We, we don't have a lot of time. But I still think these texts are so important that we need to read. I'd rather you hear the text than me, okay? So somebody, you give the mic to them and have them read Philippians 4, 10 through 13. Now I want you to see on the first two things, I want you to see that Paul was supported on two sides, okay? It is not that Paul was only reliant upon the local church, that Paul was first reliant, dependent upon God. Even at times he was only dependent on God alone. So Philippians 4, 10 through 13. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned whatever situation I, I am to be content. I know how to <clears throat> be brought low and how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Very good. First, uh, Second Corinthians one eight and nine. Somebody else volunteer. You got a popcorn. Volunteer them if they won't. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. All right, so I want you to see that Paul is even acknowledging that there's times that were so difficult and he was so isolated at times that he only was dependent upon the Lord. But that does not mean that just because... Our missionaries can sometimes say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, that that's their normal way of operation. We should not throw missionaries to the wolves and say, sink or swim, best of luck. That is not the way. But we are grateful. Aren't we grateful for the Lord's watch over and care and provision? for them? Yes, and amen. But I want you to see that secondly, Paul was also supported by his supporting team of individuals and churches. 
So Philippians 4, 14 through 16. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. Let's be honest. Can we be honest real quick? How many of you have read through the Bible a whole lot? And how many of you have never noticed that all the times that Paul mentions of people have supported him in his mission work? We fail to see some things that are very clear, and hopefully they become clear now. But I want you to see, this is the biblical pattern. This is not me trying to invent something new. Again, these are ancient steps. Romans 16. Romans 16, 1 through 4. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Chinecria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Let's talk about cost for a second of missions. So to make one translation... Uh, to make a copy of the book of Romans, we estimate was about $4,000 in, in the time Paul was doing this. So as he wrote the book of Romans, they wanted to make another copy, about four grand is the cost. The, the cost of the tra- just the travel expenses of the third missionary journey for Paul and his companions, we think is about $450,000. Most of which they believe, was paid for by Phoebe. Second Corinthians 7. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. Here we see how did God actually comfort? He comforted through the body of Christ. He sent Titus. Philippians two twenty-five. Uh, what did I commit to here? Okay, Philippians. Um, I have thought it necessary to send to you. Uh, help me out. Thank you, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, 
and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So Epaphroditus was actually sent out by the church at Philippi to find Paul. Which, First of all, let's just talk through that a second. Uh, has anybody ever looked at the maps in the back and seen Paul's missionary journey? Yes. How would anybody like the task of, hey, Paul's on a missionary journey, would you go track him down? <laughs> but he did. Epaphroditus was sent out to track Paul down. And it nearly cost Epaphroditus his life. Who so recognized the need to serve Paul that he nearly gave his own life to do it. Paul says he nearly died for the work of Christ. This is Christ's work. If you're serving the cooks, it's Christ's work. Who nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. The church said this is so important, Epaphroditus, even if it kills you, go love and serve him. Make sure he is fully equipped. Sometimes we have to recognize and take stock. First of all, it would be a great privilege to die for the cause of Christ. There's nothing in my measly little life that would be more important than that. His great glory. So look at me. Once we realize that, once we get to where Epaphroditus is, it's real easy to give up $100 for the cause of Christ. But if you're still struggling with 100 bucks, I want to push you. I want to push you. There's far more things that you could be involved in doing for far greater causes than making sure you have the best coffee. In 2019, Americans spent $1.3 billion on Halloween costumes for their pets. And in the same year, spent about 40% of that on reaching the unreached. So you tell me if I'm being a little too rough. I think our priorities are screwed up. I know that's not a, a preacher term, but that's where I am. I would much rather spend money for the sake of God's glory among all nations than so that my dog can be a bee for Halloween. First Corinthians 16. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to one as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaeus, because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. He rejoices, they refreshed his spirit. Give recognition to such people. Paul, the goer, writes back to the bow, who sent more bow, <laughs> Right, to help him, a part of the bow to help him. And he says, you give recognition to these people. Your church, I, w- I, want you to, I want to encourage you to do something. 
when the Lord grows up cinders here, and I pray he does, recognize them. Give recognition to them. Let them be examples to the church of what it means to be a faithful servant of the Lord. We're not all Pauls. We can't all be Pauls. We can't all be arrows, or else none of us would ever get anywhere. So we need bows, and so recognize the bow. That's something that the mission team really needs to grasp. I hope they do. It's not just about the goers. It's about raising up fellow senders. I'm not going to finish. So who's responsible? Benefits, obviously, we're going to reduce attrition and increase retention, increase morale. You know how many missionaries try to serve out of dry wells? Far too many. Far too many. This is going to enhance the potential for success, especially in hard fields. Especially in hard fields. Do you know where the cooks are going? A hard field. They're going to need this. Some places overseas in hard fields requires years of faithful service before even a convert can be made. Lots of times you're there 8, 10, 20 years. Sometimes there's lots of plowing. Sometimes it, the, the soil is not fertile. You've got to dig out rocks. You've got to pull the thorns. But the Lord in His great grace will do a tremendous work. But you've got to help your workers to be faithful for, for the long haul. <clears throat> uh, also, just let's acknowledge... One of the things that preparing to care well will do is boost recruitment. You know one of the worst things for recruiting missionaries is missionaries who were served poorly to come home and go, don't do it. So who's responsible for caring for M's? A couple of things. We teach our missionaries they're responsible first. So there's something we call self-care. It's not the self-care that you guys are taught about you need to go pamper yourself, you need to go get manicures and pedicures. No, that's not what I'm talking about. Self-care means you keep up your spiritual disciplines. Self-care means you call me before there's a problem. You don't call me after, well, Dustin, I need to talk to you. For the last three months, my wife's not been talking to me. I say, you're an idiot. You should have called me before that. You should have told me before that. So self-care means you embrace accountability. You acknowledge that you don't have it all together. That's one of the things we do. We don't, at DTN, we don't work with anybody who considers themselves as having already arrived. Right? Paul says, I don't consider myself as having already attained, but I press on toward the mark of the high calling. Right? So we work with people who are still in process. We are growing. He's still working on me. That is not a kid's song. I hate that they steal that from us. I used to be able to sing that. Took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun up above, right? And Jupiter and Mars. Yeah. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be, right? It's a kid's song, but it's not a kid's song. I've not yet arrived. And so I can acknowledge humbly that I need brothers and sisters to walk with me. That I need the body of Christ to walk with me. Right? 
So missionaries are responsible. Agencies are responsible. There's things that we need to do. But here, of course, I'm here to tell you that there's things the sending church needs to do. Now, one of the things I I think is the problem is there's been times with a lot of 7,000 missionaries every year where sometimes the agency thinks that the church is doing it, sometimes the churches think that the agencies are doing it. There's an old Chinese proverb that says, if you want to starve your horse, ask two different people to feed it. Because they'll all assume the other one's doing it. But someone in your church, someone on your missions team, needs to be the champion of the cooks. And for every missionary that you're dealing with, right? They need to champion to make sure we are caring for these people. We're not allowing them to get out of sight, out of mind. In your appendix, there's a section called the Sending Church Checklist, I think it's what it's called. Sending Well Checklist, maybe? But it will go a thing where it says, what does it take to send the missionaries well? And you can look at it and say, well, this is something the missionary needs to do, this is something the church needs to do, something the agency needs to do. Sometimes it's something that all three needs to do or two of them needs to do, right? But I, I, I recommend you take a look to look at it. it. Can someone find the page? 40 what, I'm sorry? 47. So on, on page 47, I think it's a couple of pages long. But ultimately what I want you to see is I gave you, that's not exhaustive. But it takes three pages just to hit some highlights of everything it takes to send them well. So if you're going, if you're at this point, you're like, I don't know really what to do. Go to that page and start looking. And start thinking about ways. You can use that page for your prayer time. Right? Check this off. We know the cooks have accomplished this. Some of those things they accomplished once and that's all they got to do. Some of these things are constant over and over and over and over and over. And so think through it, look through it, pray through it. Figure out ways you can serve them as they're trying to check those things. Figure out which things your church is going to be responsible for. Communicate. Make sure that the agency is doing the things that they need to do. If you're working with another agency with another missionary, make sure the agency is working with those things. Make sure we're doing our job. <coughs> so when is member care needed and what should it entail? Basically, what I hope you're seeing from me is the same story, just told a different way. Our goal is not to make a 90% faithful disciple. We're not aiming for 90% maturity. We're aiming for the spiritual, emotional, physical, relational, economic well-being of our missionaries. We don't want them to be 90% supported. That's not fully supported. And so where is it needed? In lots of things. I think I've listed a ton of them. Uh, I, I don't have time to go through them. I'm sorry. Here's one, one reason I'm okay with not having enough time. <clears throat> because if the Lord allows, I'll get to spend more time with you guys through our advocacy and PAC teams that we'll do with you guys for the cooks. And so through that, we'll be able to have an ongoing, long-term investment with you as, to help you develop these things. Okay? So happy, again, happy to come back if I need to uh, do more Zoom stuff, anything I need to do, but but we'll be involved. All right, lifetime of a missionary. Do you see that on page, whatever page that is? What, what page are you on? 33. 33. Now, I stole this from that Serving as Cinders book um, that we're, no, it's right here, by Neil Parolo. Uh, tremendous little outline here. I want you to see this. This will help you, in you when you prepare to care. All right? So these are different sections in the life timeline of your cross-cultural worker. So A 
is this normal living. The AB line is that personal call of God. They're just normal Christians. They feel called of God. They start doing something. They begin to anticipate approval throughout B, and B is their call is confirmed by the church. So there's these marks, but there's also this line in between those marks, right? So uh, in this C space, they begin this um, pre-filled preparation time, right? Which is like this. It is hard. You go to somebody and you talk to them and you ask for their support and they don't give you their support. Somebody that you thought was a shoe in right? uh, there's I, I was uh, on staff at a church one time that had a multi-millionaire lady that I thought really liked me and I was wrong <laughs> <laughs> but we went to ask for support multi-millionaire she just didn't get it she didn't get the mission and um, she said well I'll tell you what I was given to these other people $50 a month and they're quitting so I'll just give you that and, and I won't miss it and I actually said, well, actually, don't give me that $50. Give me a different $50 that you'll miss because I want you to be a part of this. And this is not something I want you to just do haphazardly. I want, I want you to be intentional about it. And he said, well, now that you said it, I don't want to be intentional toward this. And uh, so that was kind of a rough day. Right? But you recognize what, what we talked to our missionaries about is when, when they're arrows... God will create a bow for them, and that bow will look something different for everybody. Um, Candy and I had some friends call us when we started raising support to go overseas. And they said, we, we want you to come tell us about what you're going to be doing. But they were a young couple, had both recently lost their jobs and just had their second child. And so Candy and I said, well, we'll come talk to you. Uh, and on the drive over, we just said what you guys are thinking. We're not asking for anything. We won't mention that we have needs at all. We, we're just going to tell them about what we're going to do. Ask for them to pray with us. And uh, we go through this thing and don't mention funding. We don't mention anything. And they said, we really want to help. And I said, well, you know, you can, maybe there'll be time for that. They said, no, we want to help right now. And they, they pulled out their checkbook and wrote us a check for $6,000. And there's a moment there that I thought, Lord, you could have took it from that multimillionaire. Could have never missed it. Why didn't you do that? But the Lord just taught me that's not who he wanted on our team. It was not the bow he wanted to send us out. And so he, was, he wanted to use these young, faithful brothers and sisters to give... 1 Corinthians 8, or 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, this passage I told you to read. Out of their poverty give in an abundance because they've first given themselves to the Lord, the text says. And we watch that. And after we get those no's that ought to be yeses, that there's no reason in the world that this person shouldn't say yes. And when the Lord does something like this, it's just that encouragement. So I want you to say this. I want you to see this rather. There's no straight line in this. There's hard days and good days, and it's weird. Because me, I, I want to be a self-made guy. I, I took my last money from my parents on my 16th birthday because that was the first time I was allowed to get a job. And tried to do my own thing. And so for the Lord to call us to live by faith 
meaning that he's going to build a bow in order to accomplish it. There's hard things for some of us. Some guys have a hard time recognizing that I don't get to feed my family unless you give up $50 so that I can go get some macaroni and cheese for my kids. But it's realizing ultimately that for God's purposes, he always used God's people to provide. That's the way God has always accomplished his purposes, always. How did he provide for the Levitical tribe? Through God's people, every time. How did God build the wall through Nehemiah? God's always funded his purposes through his people. Always has. The cattle on a thousand hills are his. But he doesn't keep them on the thousand hills. You know where he puts it? He puts it in his people's pockets. Now how crazy crazy is it when his people say, no, this is not God's provision for his purposes anymore. It's God's provision for my pleasure. I think there'll come a day that we have to answer for the creature comforts that we thought were more important than the glory of God among all peoples. <clears throat> the line between C and D is that date of departure. And then D in that space is the honeymoon period. Reality sets in, of course, at that line between D and E. And then culture stress hits. Now, back in Acts chapter 13, I don't know if you remember this, but Acts chapter 13, there's more than two people that go. Holy Spirit says, set apart for me, Saul and Barnabas. But there was another young man that went. His name was John Mark. And you know he made it about four or five verses before he quit. This is what happens. The honeymoon's over. Now, thankfully, we know that John Mark actually came back. He survived and was able to get back into the game. Philippians, uh, Philemon 24 says this. Colossians 4.10 says this. 1 Peter 5.13. Uh, Peter actually mentions John Mark as, as well. John Mark made it back, but many don't. Your missionaries will hit culture stress. The honeymoon will be over, and it's a different time period for everybody. But it will be over. And if they don't climb out of it, they won't make it. It's a guaranteed crash. So look at the line in the space of E. You can see where there's an arrow that will break off and go. That's those that don't make it back. Church, you need to be prepared for when that time comes. Cooks, you need to be prepared for when that time comes why we read those books and we talk about what it is that culture stress is going to look like. Now, we can read all the books and it doesn't matter when you hit it, right? It doesn't matter. But we've got to recognize there's ways to fight through it. There's biblical ways to fight through it. And there's very unbiblical ways to fight through it. <clears throat> if the Lord allows that dip will stop They'll get their bearings again. They will gain a clear vision and they'll come back up. But note what happens. I love that, that he did this because he said they were riding this high and that high never fully comes back. Right? As they learn what it means to serve overseas. 
And if things work out well in F, they will find that ministry of love where they're in the culture serving, doing all the things that they need to do. When they begin to, to set a return to come back home for furlough or for end of their term, for retirement, something like that, you'll see that gets really rocky. I want you to know something else. That one of the hardest times in a missionary's life is them coming back to what you would call home but it's not their home anymore. Um, Candy and I weren't really gone all that long, um, but we had to lock ourselves in a hole for three weeks. Um, couldn't go to Walmart. Walmart was hard back in the States. I can explain to you some of what coming home feels like. But the thing is, is everybody at home thinks you're just the same person, but you're not. You've put off so much of who you are to try to gain this other culture, this language, to try to do this work, and you're different. And so you'll have people come back and they'll say, so, how was your trip? Don't say that. It wasn't a trip. Right? It wasn't a trip. I wish I had more time. So when missionary care needs to be on high alert, one, when they're preparing to go right now, you need to be on high alert. A few ways churches can help. They can, do, they can provide a support commitment early on, which you guys have done. I'm proud of you for doing that. I'm proud of you that you not only did it, but you even made a further commitment to up it. That was really encouraging for the cooks and for me. For them to just realize you guys are behind them. That's a huge support. Early thing we can do is develop an advocacy team. And let's, I, I need to get to that really quickly. Get to the agency early. Look for practical help. Pastoral care. Pray with them and for them. Partner early. Right? Paul's great uh, relationship with the church at, Philipp, uh, at Philippi. He says, I'm thankful for your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. How awesome would it be if Liberty Church gets to be partners with the cooks in their ministry from the very, very first day? And if they do what they hope to do, it's going to be a lifelong commitment that you guys will have kids and grandkids that are also serving the cooks as they finish their work. That's beautiful. I mean, that's just beautiful. First year term of service, you need to be on high alert missionary life is difficult for these situations I'm, I'm just mutilating my notes up here cutting stuff out major trans transitions so i'll skip most of these things because lord if the lord allows and you guys agree to it then dtn will be right there to work with you as a threefold cord and so we'll be able to help you to know when we need to be on high alert with the cooks uh, for these specific situations that are coming, okay? And if you have other missionaries that you support, please know this. I, I don't just help churches for the missionaries they have with DTN, okay? I'm happy to help you to serve missionaries that you have with other organizations. I'm happy to help you work through developing these teams, knowing when to provide what type of care, when. So um, just communicate, and we'll try to figure it out. Um home assignment reentry 
So when someone re-enters, they come back, first of all, they feel very alienated. When you come back, you experience a lot of what we call silly little things. There's a silly little thing that happens and another silly little thing that happens and another silly little thing that happens and almost at that time you're dealing with what feels to be a traumatic thing. Okay? There's lots of stuff that become very, very challenging through things like this and I'll just have to work with you on this. There's a tendency to want to condemn because you've lived in a place that doesn't have all the resources and the comforts and and things that you have here. And sometimes when you live over there and you serve and you do the things that you do, it's sometimes hard to come back and hear people whine about certain things. <laughs> Did you know our store didn't have mayo today? <sighs> we didn't have toilet paper. And we go, yeah. You know that most of the world doesn't have those things? You really want to gripe and complain? And So I say that to say you have to be loving and gracious to people when they come back because it's really tough. You have to help them work through those things in a biblical way. It's not right for them to continue in that condemning attitude. We have to pray and repent and believe as missionaries, as we're trying to find health again in our spirit to be able to continue. Um, Note that Lots of missionaries that go overseas, especially ones that will serve a long time, they come back and almost, actually suicide rates in missionaries are pretty high because it's almost like um, military, military soldiers. They have a hard time adapting to civilian life. And it sometimes happens to missionaries. Okay? So beware. They may need some more intensive care that's needed. We have resources for you. We can outsource to some professional care if you need it. Um, just be aware. Mm, that's so good, but we're not going to cover it. Um, so, random things to do for your missionary. Draw attention without putting on a pedestal. Number two, reduce the number of churches they have to visit on furlough. Don't require numbers from them. Here's the thing. We have a missionary in Costa Rica right now. That he's planted two of the biblically faithful churches in the country, two of the less than ten. Um, in the last few weeks, they've had uh, 15 converts, over 40 new members of their church. I've appointed five deacons and uh, appointed three elders. This is after five years of hard labor. And the Lord just suddenly... It's been incredible to see the things that the Lord has done. Baptizing lots of, lots of new believers. It's been really incredible. Here's the thing. There are some churches that would want him to lie and pad his numbers. Do not make your missionaries lie and pad their numbers. Giving a good biblical report of all that the Lord has done is beautiful. Acts chapter 14, after the first missionary journey, Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas are sent. At the end of Acts chapter 14, let's go there real quick. Just so you see, I'm not making it up. All right, at the end of their first missionary journey, end of chapter 14, 
Uh, it says they traveled down through Pisidia and Pamphylia. They had spoken the word at Perga. They went down to Italia. And there they sailed to Antioch, back where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. When they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time there with the disciples. So they came back and they reported to the church. Why? Because it wasn't just the missionary's ministry. It was the church's ministry. And so reports to them, that's a precious time. I recommend that you learn about your missionaries, not just their work. Don't make them be their own pastor. No one's supposed to be their own pastor. Don't make them be their own pastor. Also, don't let them be their own pastor. Just because they're isolated doesn't mean they have to do it. You be their pastor. Don't ask them to give a four-year report in five minutes. Acts 14 says, no little time. It hurts when no one reads the newsletters. One of the most encouraging things we had is we came back and somebody asked Candy, which, you know, 18 months before that, Candy had had knee surgery. And we come back and a guy goes, hey, Candy, how's your knee doing? It was one of the most encouraging things for us. And don't belittle. We've talked about missions as every part of the church. One of the most sweetest things that we got was a church in southwest Arkansas had their children's ministry draw us pictures and write us prayer cards. And they shipped them to us. And that was the only thing we had hanging on our wall our whole time overseas. was these little kids. And they were so encouraging. So don't think that it's just, oh, it's only people that can do this. That you, no. Find ways for everybody in your church to serve and encourage your missionaries. <clears throat> Ask specific questions. Ask questions about idioms. These guys being linguists will really love idioms. Uh, you don't realize how much we speak in idioms until you go and try to learn a new language and you realize none of those translate. right? But ask them about it because that's how they learn about culture and they'll want to tell you about things like that because it's fun. It's interesting to them. Care about their children. When you care about missionaries, care about their children. Do not let their only mail be a questionnaire that you make them fill out in order to continue to receive support for you from you. We uh, have a missionary supporter that's so generous, very kind. We have four kids. Uh, we still live on support um, as best as we can. And um, find special ways to do things. So our kids, we had school starting, and, and we tried to scrounge up some money so that we could get uh, a new school outfit for each of the kids. And so we went to a outlet mall sort of thing. Is that what you call that, Candy? Um, and we had the kids pick out a t-shirt and shorts and a new pair of shoes. And uh, we're there with one of our supporters. And we have four kids, and so just that was going to be three or four hundred dollars. And so, you know, having as many kids as we do, it's not like you get the really, hey kids, you get three new clothes. No, you, you get one. Right? Take good care of it, sort of thing. 
And um, so we went up to pay, and she pushed me out of the way and slid her card in. And it was just one of those things where... She just found ways to love us. That same supporter one time, uh, she bought my kids tickets to do indoor skydiving. And that sounds really dumb. (laughs) But hear me, that's something that we would never do. But she said, your kids need experiences too. Find ways to do fun, cool things for your families. Don't say K-rations and foxholes are fine for you and your kids while your kids are doing indoor skydiving and all the things that you do with your kids. It oughtn't to be like that. Should it? Sometimes when we give money, we sometimes give and say, this ought to go to buy a Bible. But you have to understand, sometimes it has to go to get, to keep the lights on. Anytime you give it, do you guys pass a plate or do you just have an offering at the back or what do you, at the back, okay. So nobody at your church, I almost guarantee it, nobody at your church runs back through and puts money in the offering plate at the back and says, I really hope this goes to pay the light bill. (laughs) But they don't want to be here in August without the air conditioner running. You have to understand something, that your missionaries have light bills. And if you only give them enough to have light bills, then they don't get to do any of the ministry stuff. Or they don't get to do any of the family stuff. Be ashamed to have kids that never get to go out for ice cream, ever. I'm not saying they ought to be going out for something. They, they don't get to go to travel to all the Disneylands in the world. That's not what I'm saying. I know somebody who lives on support that has been to over 180 countries. And they brag about it. Because that's all they do. They do zero ministry, but they live on support and people pay them to travel around. And it is an unfaithful, ungodly thing. I'm not saying that you ought to make sure that they get to travel to every Disneyland on the planet. I am saying that they ought to be able to go out for ice cream. They ought to be able to have some stuff. And sometimes it won't be in their budget. But sometimes you as a supporter can go, you know what? Your kids are having ice cream on me tonight. It'd be a little thing, a little sacrifice that you would make. It would make a huge impact to them. Three, four hundred dollars, sometimes for people here, that you wouldn't bat an eye at it. It made a huge difference to my kids. It made such a huge difference to me, I'm telling you about it. I can't tell you the encouragement. I want the cooks to be encouraged like that. I don't want, to, want them to come back and say, for four years, nobody's cared for us. Am I being crazy? So, one of the things you can do is you can develop care teams. Number four, establish care teams. Eight minutes. <clears throat> I have a lot on this, guys, and I'm sorry. But... We recommend at DTN that everybody have two teams. You as a church, should rec- I recommend that you build two teams for each missionary that you're going to send. 
you can build a team around a supporting missionary if you realize that the supporting missionary that you have is not being supported well by their sending church. Okay? First team is what I call an advocacy team. They're sometimes called Barnabas teams or care teams. You can call it whatever you want. I don't care. It's not about the the name. It's about what you do. It should be a group of the body plus at least one elder needs to be on the team. And this team's job is to, one, advocate. So they're in communication. They need to be communicated with at least once a month on face-to-face, which is Zoom. Missionaries need to have that once a month. At least once a week, they need to be texted with. You can take terms, turn, turns in the team to text with each missionary. Have the ladies text with Leanne. Have the men text with Raymond at least once a week, minimum. And the job is to, one, hear about their life, hear about what's going on, hear about their ministry efforts, hear about their language learning. You understand with Raymond and Leanne, they're going to go and for four years have very little ministry experience to be telling you about. I had a, I had a sending church call as for a DTN missionary. I had a sending church call and say, hey, we're a little concerned. Our missionary's been there three months and they've not even done anything. We send, we send, send short-term teams over there and within a week they can paint a house. That's literally what they told me. And I got to lovingly say, yeah. So you have to understand what it is they're trying to accomplish. You don't send them to go paint houses. You send them to learn a language well so that they can go and learn another language well so that they can go and learn the culture well, so that they can begin to take the years-long process of translating the scriptures well. It is not a short-term thing. It's a long-term thing. We're looking at a long-term investment with an incredible ROI at the end of a return on investment. Right? We're not looking for that short-term investment to have, at the end, a painted house. Right? And so this advocacy team needs to understand what their life is dealing with and expect two to four years of, this is what we're dealing with. At the end of their two years, they're going to start having the first conversations with people, gospel conversations with people in their first language, and you get to start talking to them about that. But don't expect that the first couple of months, because the first couple of months, they're going to try to learn how to order off a menu. Right? And we were in Costa Rica, and I mixed up, there's, there's a word for the the color orange and a word for the fruit orange. And I asked for juice that was the color orange and ended up getting warm carrot juice. Right? And so like a good missionary, I drank it. But talk about deflating. Right? When I can't even order juice. And so when the advocacy call, team calls, says, you know, I'm kind of struggling. You can be there to hear and to pray and to encourage. Say, it's all right. You're doing it. You, you look at the lesson that you just learned. You're all right. And encourage. So the job is cheerleading and then advocating. And so that means communicating back with your church. This team's job is to gather all the information and then find a way, some way, to report it to the whole body of the church. So build a newsletter, announce it from the pulpit, do video. I don't care what you do. 
be creative, but find ways for the advocacy team to communicate all the stuff about the missionaries to them. It is a problem when the missionaries come back and people go, I didn't even know you were gone. Right? We don't want that. You want your whole church involved, so this is a great way to include that. It's a great way to teach your whole church about missions is by teaching them through them. This is what they're doing. These are what they're dealing with. You want to know what it means to be a missionary? You've got to learn to, to deal with language and culture. And these are the things, and you get to teach your people about it through everyday experiences. Not at their expense, but alongside them. Not like I am where I keep talking about my foolishness. Right? But alongside them as you encourage them. So that's that one team. Communicating back and forth. And also because they love Aunt Susie too, that's at church. And so let them know, hey, Aunt Susie got sick this week. And so they can go, oh, we're going to pray for Aunt Susie. Why? Because you're still connected. You don't amputate them. So you keep them a part of the body. Let them know about what you're doing. Tell them about your ministries. Tell them how you're serving. Tell them about the things that you're rejoicing in what the Lord has done. And then communicate it both ways. Second team, I'm so sorry about how low. Second team is a pack team. Pastoral accountability and care. Okay? Pastoral accountability and care. We have a guy with um, uh, DTN now that was in South Africa for 12 years. And he called a guy that was on his advocacy team. And he said, hey, I want to let you know, I'm really kind of praying through. I've got this idea. I'm thinking the Lord might be moving us back to the States to pastor a church. Just not sure. I'm just praying about it. Would you pray with me for it? And the guy said, yeah, absolutely. Hangs up the phone, immediately calls the home office of his uh, mission board and says, this guy's wanting to come home. And the mission board says, okay, and cut off his funding that day. I use that as an example to say this. There are things that go on in a missionary's life that won't necessarily be needed to be explained to an advocacy team. That it will need to be explained to a PAC team. Pastoral accountability and care needs to be a couple of elders, minimum. Other, pe- other people, churches can say, this is only our church that's doing this. A church can say, hey, there's other people that are heavily involved in ministering to these people and we want to bring them into care. It needs to have women because you have a lady on there. She needs to have mentoring roles for her. Okay, so ladies that she loves in the church that can help oversee Leanne. I'm using you guys as an example, okay? Um, but but that know and love Leanne, and Leanne knows and loves and trusts, so that they can have those closed door sessions where they can talk about things and say stuff like, and we're really praying about which direction we want to go. And so they know the pack team knows that doesn't leave here, as we just pray alongside you. Right? So we don't go tell anybody else because sometimes if, you, if the advocacy comes and, and communicates that in a bad way and somebody hears about it and goes, well, I'm pulling my funding and they're not going to do what I sent them to do. And that's not what, it ha- what happened, right? So there's certain of those conversations that need to happen. Also, the higher accountability stuff, advocacy teams can do a lot of the accountability. But the reason we, put, we recommend putting an elder on the advocacy team is sometimes something will come up. Advocacy teams meeting at least once a month. Okay, that's why you got to be fat, faithful, available, teachable to be on it. Pack teams 
should be meeting on a regular basis, like a scheduled basis. We're going to check in every three months, whatever's needed. But there's times that obviously you go, hey, we need to do this more often. So there's times, say, Justice is on the advocacy team, and he hears something pop up, and he sees something in Raymond that he's concerned about, and so he can call a PAC team meeting because of the thing, information that he got from the advocacy team. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so we can call and do deeper accountability. Brother, are, you seem like you're struggling. You're struggling? How do we pray? How do we seriously pray and serve you? Right? So PAC team is really important. All those major ministry decisions and things like that should be done through the PAC team. DTN requests to be able to be a part of the PAC team forever. Advocacy team, I'm happy to help set up and facilitate for the first several months, uh, but ultimately I think that can be ran within the local church. And I don't think you necessarily need us. But the PAC team, because of the, the necessity and the way that we need to work together for the ministry purposes, it's really helpful to just have the three uh, folds of the cord there together. And so we can help with global strategy, but obviously, you know, the, the doctrinal alignment, we have a doctrine that they have to align with as well. But the initial aspect of any sort of concerns about that type of stuff, we want to come from the local church. It's y'all's authority that y'all sent them out in or under, right? Good so far? Can I go a couple of minutes? Ah, such good stuff. So advocacy teams should be serving moral support, prayer support, logistical support, communication support, financial support, reentry support. It's really good to have six months heads up. If they're coming back, then you need to start looking for housing, cars, right? They don't need to come back and buy a house for six months. They don't need to come back and buy a car for six months. Right? But it's really difficult to acquire all those things from Southeast Asia. So build a team around it and recognizing. And so that's this thing. I think we can, if you grasp the idea to start it, we can coach it up and show you the rest of the way as we go through it. Cool? Yep. Okay. So responsibilities. Pray. Lots of prayer. All right, step five. Pray and serve. Gosh, guys. Can we read some more scripture? Are you guys okay with this? I, I, I know I'm going long. Let's do it. Yeah, if you got that, that'd be great. What page is pray and care? 41. So praying is a form of care, right? Scripture tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. The battle that these guys are going into is spiritual darkness. The sun will be there. They'll have light, they'll be able to see the streets, they'll be able to do that stuff. But they're headed into some deep spiritual darkness. And it is very important that we pray for them. And so let's, I want to show you, because Scripture is loaded with this stuff. And so many times we read this and not actually think of what's actually happening. So, Romans 15. Somebody want to read that? I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. 
strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from unbelievers. Colossians 4. These are all things that you can and should be praying for your missionaries. Great scriptures. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Read the next one. Second Thessalonians. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed, speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. Ephesians 6. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. You can see how he's even asking specific prayers for the same specific prayers are requested by every true missionary of God. Pray that they'd have words. Pray that they'd be protected. Pray that God's word would go forth. Colossians 1. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so... From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So, the best way to teach your people to pray for missionaries is the Bible. Pray for them. We do have that resource back there. Please, everybody grab one of those on how to pray for missionaries. Stick it in your Bible. It's a daily thing. You can pray for them for each day of the week. Begin now. Uh, lots of things we can use, and, and I can help you to develop uh, ways to teach your congregation to pray for missionaries. I've got a list of things. I just can't cover it. Ultimately, though, when you pray and serve, you're also looking to trust the Lord. Trust God for his care. 
There's so many things that happens in the Scriptures. 2 Corinthians 4, which is the text we were in earlier this week, later on after he says all these things about the God of this, eight, this world has blinded the eyes of unbelievers, but uh, God has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the gospel in the face of Jesus Christ. He says we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that of all these things we won't receive the glory, but the glory will obviously be seen in God. He then goes into struggles that they have, how they're pressed down and, but not crushed. And ultimately he says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Pray this way for your missionaries. Pray this way that when they go into hard places and do hard things, that even though the world, the flesh, and the devil, the enemy will attack, that unholy trinity will press in on them, and their outer self may seem to be wasting away, we know that the Lord does an inner work. And I love to hear my missionaries say, this is really, really hard. But our inner self is being renewed day by day. So church, ultimately, when, though you do all the things that you can, you prepare to care, you establish teams, you do everything you can, you pray and you serve, we still trust the Lord. We trust the Lord to care for these beloved brothers and sisters. You know, when Acts 13, there's five elders, Barnabas and Saul, top-notch guys. Think about what happens. The church was commanded by the Holy Spirit to lay hands on them and send them out for the task that the Holy Spirit had for them. That's a painful thing. You lose people that you love. You lose people that you need, right? I can't think of very many churches that go, hey, we don't really need Paul on staff. I know a lot of churches that don't want Paul on staff, but I don't know very many that don't need him, right? It's a painful thing. Ultimately, what we have to recognize is God is doing something great. And he's not just growing Liberty Church. He's growing his church and sometimes he grows that through painful ways but we get to trust him and we get to lay hands on those that we know and love and quite frankly need and send the best we've got for the best work in the world so you pray you serve you serve you jump in. This is not their ministry. Right? You take ownership. This is our ministry. We partnered with them to accomplish this. So you don't call them and say, hey guys, what do you need to do your job? You say, what do we need to do our job? Do we need $10,000 to do this? Then let's go get it. Right? You take ownership. So, let's go back to the beginning. Start well. Lay that foundation. The Bible gives us the mission. We receive the mission. Christ, the head of the church, has by his great grace told us not only his ultimate ends, 
and goal of the church, but has told us the means that we, would, we should walk, back, walk through in order to accomplish it. And we beware of mission drift. We take that stance to come up with what is the strategy that God has for us. Let's build those things. Let's get deep convictions about them. And let's figure out a way that we as a church can serve well. We can accomplish these things. I hope, I hope, I hope that this has not been something that I'm talking about, something you can never accomplish. I hope you're realizing this is something you can accomplish. I see in you. I told you what to say to your missionaries. I want to say it to you as a church. I see in you the ability to do this. I see in you that a Holy Spirit is there and working inside your church and awakening people to this need and even equipping people for this task. I hear, I've met and talked to people who said, we love the cooks. We want to see them sent well. What is that? That's the Holy Spirit working to develop cinders, building a bow right before our very eyes. And I hope you send well. I hope you take ownership and say, this is our job. This is our task. This is something we can't accomplish, and I hope you do. I pray that this time has been beneficial to you. But if it's okay, I would like to just pray for you. Is that all right? Lord, through this time, I, I pray that this has been a sweet moment for this church to recognize the goodness and and the absolute privilege it is to be in service to you. Lord, like David Livingston said, I desire to, to do something for you, for your glory. And God, I pray in this church they have that heart. They want to do something for your glory. And Lord, that you would use them, even as David Livingston said, even in a little way, that Lord, that you would take all the glory. God, I pray that you awaken this church and you awaken individuals. I pray that through this, that you will not only begin this idea, this process of developing and assessing missionaries, of preparing a bow for these missionaries, the cooks, But Lord, that this would continually be a bow-building church and an arrow-building church. Developing goers and senders. Lord, the, the senders, the next senders of this church are probably sitting in this room. And that's exciting to me. And Lord, maybe the next goers from this church might already be in the pews. I don't know. But Lord, you know. God, I pray that you would use this information not to just overdevelop a head here, but would fully develop the heart, the passion for you and your glory among all nations. That they would set as their goal, their strategy, their purpose to make disciples of all nations. God, I pray that through your great grace that you would give them the strength and stamina that they need. Because I realize that the highs sometimes go away. 
As the old saying goes, everybody has a fight plan until they get punched in the nose. Lord, we recognize that so many times we start off with high expectations, but sometimes things don't go the way we thought. But Lord, we recognize that there's no reason to quit this ministry. And that we, you build in these people a steel backbone of conviction to persevere, to press on. Lord, to continue to pray and to serve even in the hard phone calls, in the sad tragedies, in the difficulties of all the things that can come from reaching an unreached people group. Persecution, slander, all the things that could, they could face. Lord, I, I pray that you give them a stick to that we press on toward the mark. And Lord, that we don't allow this light momentary affliction that we may receive keep us from that weight of glory that we look forward to. Lord, we know that for all of us here that are in Christ, you have something awaiting us that is glorious and great. Lord, the gospel teaches us that it's not just for us, but for all those who will call upon the name of the Lord. But you tell us that they can't believe unless they hear. And they can't hear unless there's someone to preach. And they can't preach unless they're sent. So God, help this church to send so that someone will be able to preach so that unreached peoples will hear and believe and join us around the throne singing praises to the Lamb who is worthy. Worthy of all of these efforts. Worthy of all of our resources. Worthy of our lives. God, you are worthy. pray that it is your worthiness that is our ultimate motivation for missions. Bless this church, Lord. She's such a sweet church. Bless her and use her mightily for your great namesake. For I ask this in Christ's name. Amen.